Blog Talk Radio. Uh, needless to say, uh, those of us of African descent 
and those of us who are dealing with uh, a higher level, higher self-consciousness, uh, understand the importance of having faith in one's life uh, and, and being cognizant of the fact that by faith that uh, there is nothing that you cannot achieve. Uh, by faith, there is nothing in which you cannot envision being possible for you in your life. And that's something that uh, has resonated with, with us, uh, those of us who live here in the United States, here in North America, who were brought here uh, to this continent some 400 years ago as uh, captured warriors. Uh, those of us who can uh, remember uh, the stories that were told by our great-grandparents uh, and those elders who were old enough to share uh, the experience of that, if not themselves, at least being directly told by their parents and grandparents, that it was through that, their faith, that they were able to uh, go through the, the pain, the suffering, the mistrust, the, the, uh, the mistreatment, the humiliation, the inhumane treatment, as it were, because they knew that this too shall pass. They had the faith to understand that the Most High would provide for them. So, uh, indeed, here in the year of 2012, we are in, uh, embarking on a, a state of collective faith, the collective, collective embracement of Imani, uh, Understanding that uh, that Dr. Ron Karenga, who uh, back in, in 1965, I believe, or 67, when he was he came together with other founding members um, and shared this particular holiday, uh, a ritual that has become practiced and celebrated by over 40 million worldwide, throughout the African diaspora and beyond, we are indeed uh, very uh, privileged to be able to uh, speak with you via this radio show and to uh, talk about the, uh, the principles, the uh, Nguza Saba, the seven principles of Kwanzaa. So indeed, uh, the first one being Yemoja, unity, to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Kujijakalia, self-determination, to define ourselves, name ourselves, create for ourselves, and speak for ourselves instead of being defined, named, and created for, and spoken for by others. Ujima, collective work and responsibility, to build and maintain our community together and make our sisters and brothers problems, our problems, and to solve them together. Ujama, cooperative economics, to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses, and to profit from them together. Nia, purpose, to make our collective vocation the building and developing our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. Umba, Creativity, which we celebrated yesterday. To do always as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial 
than when we inherited. And then today we're celebrating the principle of Imani, faith, to believe with all our heart and our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. So, uh, yes, indeed, we are very humbled to be able to sit here, um, my wife and I, to share uh, the the wisdom of uh, such as Dr. Malana Karanga, and also we will be sharing some thoughts from uh, Dr. Patrice um, uh, Maladomi Patrice Somme, as he shares with us in his book, The uh, Healing Wisdom of Africa and the Significance of Ritual. So uh, we're going to take a short pause right now, and when we come back, um, we will uh, discuss more about the celebration of Kwanzaa. Please stay with us. Technology has afforded us with the capacity to create uh, and 
lead today being the day of Imani, the principle of Imani. And we are in the mode of creativity constantly. But when it happens so magically like it did last night and the day before, uh, it's just encouraging to know that we are doing the work that uh, can be uh, carried on from generation to generation. I give thanks to the guardian for Tom. Ah, I ah. thanks to Alicia. Ah, I say. Yes, indeed. Because uh, not only do we stand on the shoulders of those before us in terms of the good works that we're able to do, uh, we're humbly able to do, but indeed uh, they have those uh, in the spirit world, uh, the guardians and the agents who assist us constantly. And it behooves us to acknowledge them, along with the Most High. Absolutely. Yes, I say. So uh, I'm just really, uh, again, uh, looking forward to uh, having shows like this. And uh, seven days actually seems just a little bit too short of time. Uh, my brother, uh, good brother, Mwalamu Wesley Kabbalah, uh, was on the show Friday, Friday evening at 8. And those of you who missed the show, uh, please uh, feel free to go to the archives and uh, you can listen to the whole show in its entirety. And he had mentioned that there was a brother that he knows, uh, Brother Eaton, who proposed that Kwanzaa uh, be uh, celebrated all year long, 365 days, which is something that's been said before. But he suggested that each day of the week be designated for one of the principles of Kwanzaa. So it's going to be interesting to see if that, uh, uh, what kind of progress is made in that regard in terms of uh, establishing a day for each day, each principle of Kwanzaa. I'd like to just, uh, at this moment, read something um, to you. And I must remind everyone that uh, my wife and I, and I must speak right now for myself for this show, that the reason why I, I... for the most part, choose certain books to feature and to read and excerpts from and so forth is because many of, of those of us throughout the African diaspora cannot uh, afford to purchase books, if not indeed do not have access to a venue where they can purchase a book, whether it be a physical store or to have a computer to purchase it online. Some of us cannot read and some are blind. So uh, we're providing a service where we're able to feature certain writings by um, authors authors who are very significant in terms of their contribution to our community and in terms of their knowledge. So that's one of the reasons why I choose to uh, feature certain books and read certain articles, uh, along with the fact that, indeed, we're also... Uh, establishing a modality of being able to teach uh, along with share this knowledge. And uh, what I'm about to read now is an article that was written by Dr. Malanga Karanga, and it's titled, Choosing to be African, a Lifetime Resolution. And it's interesting that he says a lifetime resolution because many uh, people throughout the world uh, on, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, they they make New Year's resolutions. 
And uh, he has within this title a lifetime resolution and regarding one choosing to be African. And he states, in the 60s, when we first collectively declared that we are an African people, we did not do so simply to reaffirm our historical source of origin. We did it also as an act of self-determination, a reaffirmation of our right as the Nguza Saba, the seven principles, say, to define ourselves, name ourselves, create for ourselves, and speak for ourselves. And moreover, we did this to make a definite cultural claim and cultural commitment, a claim of uniqueness, distinctiveness, and difference from our oppressor, and a commitment to extract and emulate the models of excellence and achievement rooted in our culture. He also states that we made this claim of distinctiveness while reluctantly conceding some similarities in our thought and behavior due to the cultural dominance of the ruling class or race and its powers of coercion and enticement. And after all, he states, we had been here so long, and the dominant society had done its best and worst to ensure that we lost our historical memory and cultural grounding. That is to say, outlawing, outlawing our languages and access to education, killing off our cultural leaders, erasing and rewriting our history, undermining our family formation, splitting our families apart with the devastating acts of the auction block, brutally imposing their nonsense names on us, giving us a god in their own racial and racist image, and irrationally claiming they had saved us from ourselves, freed us by enslaving us, and were civilizing us by the savagery they served as daily bread. And he goes on to state, but where was there, but there is oppression, oppression, there is also resistance, and thus, in the midst of the holocaust of enslavement and subsequent forms of savage oppression, we held to core values of what it means to be African, even though we forgot in many, perhaps most cases, the original source of our understanding and assertion in the world. Hidden behind the thick veil of forced historical amnesia and ongoing oppression, our Africanness became invisible to us on one hand and inaccessible on the other. It is here in the 1960s that we join our claim of cultural distinctiveness, worthy of recognition and respect to a commitment to constantly study and learn from our culture and to hold fast to those core values that teach us to seek and speak truth, practice and promote justice, and always pursue and do the good. And he goes on to state, that is why us, the organization called us, took up the challenge to initiate and sustain a cultural revolution, an ongoing struggle to recover, reaffirm, reconstruct the best of our culture, and use it to repair and transform ourselves in the process of repairing and transforming our consciousness and the conditions of our lives in society and the world. This is the meaning of us. This is the meaning of us's position, that we must constantly dialogue with African culture, making 
it questions and seeking it from it answers to the fundamental issues and challenges of African and human life then daring and then daring to add an African imagination and initiative to the ongoing historical struggle for human freedom and human flourishing in the world. And Malanga goes on to say that it's important to note that this cultural core of what it means to be African has both continental and diasporian historical and current sources, for our identity is not a fossilized product, but an ongoing living project in which we all take part. This is the meaning of the Kawada contention, that blackness, Africanness, is not a static identity, but a constantly renewed result of the struggle we wage daily to defend our dignity as persons and a people, to hold fast to those values which define our identity and gives us purpose and direction in our lives, and to avoid any proposition or practice that undermines our effort and obligation to bring forth in ever-expansive ways the best of what it means to be African and human in the world. And he states, we have said that as African-Americans, we are Americans by habit, and African by choice. By this is meant that most of what we do and think has its roots in the social process that surrounds and seduces us. And we do what we do often out of habit, i.e., an unconscious and unexamined way. The mindless consumerism, vulgar individualism, the divisive and destructive competitiveness, and the embrace of racist technicism, catechism, of impossibilities and inferiority directed towards us and other peoples of color all grow out of and fear find fertile ground in the United States society. And each day we mindlessly and routinely follow these and similar values and practices of self-consciously chose to be and bring forth the best of what it means to be African in the world. It is not easy to be African or black in a white-dominated world, as Franz Fanon taught in The Wretched of the Earth. The intense levels of oppression can and do make some of us doubt ourselves, deny ourselves, condemn, and even mutilate ourselves psychologically and physically. And so it is important to pause, pay homage, and say asante, thanks to those who do not doubt or deny the dignity and divinity of our personhood, nor the sacredness of our narrative we know as our history, and who go forth daily with the undestroyed dignity and values inherited from our ancestors, cherishing their identity and duty as Africans to bring good into the world. Asante also to those who understand and appreciate the category African as synonymous and as a metaphor for excellence and the best of our culture, and as a moral and spiritual ideal, we all must embrace in order to realize and reaffirm the best in ourselves as persons and a people. And finally, he states, Asante to the brothers and sisters who will not stop loving and believing in each other, who openly admit we need each other like the next breath, and who hold fast to the tradition of our ancestors, who taught us that together in love and struggle we can do it right, keep it real, 
and make it good in every way and sense of the word. Hotep, I say, thus uh, as stated by Dr. Milana Karanga in the article he wrote, Choosing to be African, a Lifetime Resolution. Please stay with us. We'll be right back in a moment to continue. Clots 
into vestiges of temples, into precious stones, removed enough to dis- discourage miners. Whoever would not understand me would not understand any better the roaring of a river. And that's by a uh, writer and poet, Ami Sacheri. And uh, Maladoma, he goes on to state that ritual is the most ancient way of binding a community together in a close relationship with spirit. It is a way of communicating with forms of consciousness and beings from countless worlds. It has been one of the most practical and efficient ways to stimulate the safe healing required for both the individual and the community. Ritual has always been the way of life of the spiritual person because it is a tool to maintain the delicate balance between body and soul. In the tribal community, healing of the village happens in ritual. He goes on to state with a question, what is ritual? He says, every time a gathering of people under protection of spirit triggers a body of emotional energy aimed at bringing them very tightly together, a ritual of one type or another is in effect. I'll repeat that. Every time a gathering of people under the protection of spirit triggers a body of emotional energy aimed at bringing them very tightly together, a ritual of one type or another is in effect. So we have here, uh, as we celebrate Kwanzaa, this is a, a, a celebration that encourages the gathering of brothers and sisters throughout the African diaspora, throughout the world. And uh, this gathering has a certain, imbued with certain ritual, with certain uh, procedures, and under the protection of spirit, whatever our religious orientation may be, uh, this uh, protection that we embrace through the Most High, it triggers a body of emotional energy aimed at bringing us together very tightly together. And uh, Maladoma states that a ritual of one type or another is in effect when this happens. And in this kind of gathering, people primarily uh, use nonverbal means of interacting with one another, thereby stimulating, uh, stimulating the, uh, the life of the psychic. And what happened in the United States, he states, when President Kennedy was assassinated can be likened to a ritual. Suddenly and spontaneously, the country came together, bound by an emotional energy. In the indigenous context, death triggers the same ritual response. When someone dies, everything stops and the village comes together for the funeral. There are two parts to ritual, he states. One part is planned. People prepare the space for the ritual and think through the general choreography of the process. And the other part of the ritual cannot be planned because it is the part that spirit is in charge of. The unplanned part of ritual is a spontaneous, almost unpredictable interaction with an energy source. It is a response to a call from the non-human source to commune with a larger horizon. It is like a journey. 
before you get started, you own the journey. And after you start, the journey owns you. Certain events move us irresistibly toward ritualized behavior. For example, the loss of a loved one, a major accident, the witnessing of a violent death or a natural disaster. When such an event happens, no observer can predict people's actions or logically explain what goes on because the people affected by the event act without conscious control. Any emotional frenzy, to the extent that it is orchestrated by spirit, has something ritualistic about it. Ritual can look like an opportunity for loss of control and this place where you surrender your control to spirit, to whatever force is present, because you trust the leadership of that force. Even highly controlled people from time to time want to cut loose. Ritual offers this opportunity, for in ritual you may be able to plan what will happen, but you cannot plan the outcome. This is because people will respond to spontaneous and spontaneous ways to the call of spirit. And where exactly the journey will take the group, no one can say. It is important to note, he states, that to recognize what ritual is not, it is not repetitive or compulsive behavior, like having coffee or a cigarette in the morning, nor is, is it an everyday formality, like gathering another person uh, or greeting another person with a handshake, hug, or a kiss. And in the day-to-day life, when you go to a public place of business, you're expected to stand in line if you find that others have preceded you in the same place. And ritual is just the opposite. It is the gathering with others in order to fill spirit's call, to express spontaneously and publicly whatever the emotion needs to be expressed, to create, to con- connect and in concert with others, and unrehearsed and deeply moving response to spirit, and to fill the presence of the community, including the ancestors and throughout the experience. So he goes on to say that people's psyches are very drawn to ritual because is a place of high ecstasy. What happens to ritual is not unlike what happens to people who ingest drugs. Ritual is a place of safe ecstasy, but with no undesirable side effects. This is one of the reasons why indigenous people love ritual. They spend the majority of their time planning for ritual, doing it, and recovering from it. It is important also to distinguish between ritual and ceremony. I remember the first time I was invited to a wedding in the West. I thought it would be an opportunity to see a true ritual, since two people were going to be melted into wet life for life. And Maldoma states, I was thinking about the deeply ritualistic event that a wedding implies in my own culture. There, a whole family escorts a bride to the groom after making an offer at the altar of the ancestors. At the groom's house, the ritual welcoming begins with another gathering of the elders at the shrine of the groom's ancestors. The invocation prayer is aimed at protection, good health, children, and harmony. They offer sacrifices of chicken, pour water for peace and continued reconciliation, then distribute ash for protection against bad spirits. And after this, the bride's village must sing songs of praise to the bride 
and demand that the groom's village and family members prove their worthiness. For long hours, a chanted dialogue occurs between villages and families, where the bride's people investigate in songs and, and uh, the economic, social, and political worth of the groom's people. That's interesting. They investigate in song, or should I say, they investigate in songs, that's plural, the economic, social, and political worth of the groom's people. The bride's people will not enter the groom's house for the first refreshment of the day until satisfied that the groom's people check out well on every item. And, of course, they know all this in advance. But as when a priest or a minister asks a bride and a groom if they want to take each other as partners, knowing what the answer will be, the responses need to be made public. So Malodoma states that when I was invited to an American wedding, I was still carrying my culturally shaped ideas about the kind of ritual that the wedding would be, and that is why I was disappointed. First, I admired the beautiful clothing that nearly everyone wore. The bride looked angelic in her white dress. The groom was a true gentleman, beautiful in his black tuxedo, and the beauty of the participants was not enough to constitute a moving ritual. He says, but the, the beauty of the participants was not enough to con constitute a moving ritual. To me, the crowd's attitude was most strange. The passivity of, of those present made me wonder if anyone cared about the bride and the groom. People seemed more responsive to appearance, drinks, and partying than to the sacred commitment of the two getting married. The exchange of vows had little sincerity, except in the case of the bride, who seemed to carry some emotion in her answer, I do. But the vows seemed to emphasize the heavy burdens placed upon the couple. Each was asked if they promised to love the other, whether sick or healthy, miserable or happy, wealthy or poor, and they both said yes, and the crowd said nothing. My first reaction was, this is not possible. Two people can't do this alone. I was instinctively responding to the fact that in my culture, the families exchanged wedding vows on behalf of the couple. The essence of this collective vow is a recognition that the ancestors are witnesses to the couple's commitment to serve and care for each other. The same ancestors will counsel the two families in times of stress as much as in times of joy. Mm. What I just read just really touched me emotionally because I reflect uh, that I've been married and I, I know that my first marriage to my daughter's mother reminds me of what Mama's Open states and, uh, and what I just read, that it seemed to be more of a party. The participants, the two families and the guests that were there, they couldn't wait, wait to get over with the ritual of saying I do so that the reception could start uh, as soon as possible so that they could start eating and drinking and dancing. And, of course, we had nothing in th that resembled uh, what he states in terms of the uh, myself being challenged and my family being challenged in terms of me uh, having the, the, the worth or to prove myself adequate on an economic level, 
uh, a political level and a spiritual level. And, uh, of course, I wasn't alone. This is shared by millions of us throughout the United States and throughout the, uh, the uh, world community within the diaspora, the African diaspora and without the, uh, outside of the diaspora. And we find that we have a dilemma today where uh, we do not respect one another. Indeed, our children do not respect us as adults. They don't respect their parents. They don't respect their, uh, the, the grandparents, the, the, the uh, elders, uh, the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. And it's because of this, I would say, that uh, as Milana um, Karanga stating, he stated in the article, Choosing to be Africa, that uh, during the 60s we reaffirmed uh, our commitment. We reaffirmed and our uh, understanding that we were first and foremost a people uh, who were African, people of African descent who had certain uh, certain ideology that we collectively had before we were brought here 400 years ago, a certain culture and a certain practice of ritual, which always included spirit, which always included the ancestors. So uh, the year 2012, in my opinion, is going to be the beginning of, of us going back to ritual, uh, the beginning of recognizing and paying homage to our ancestors, the beginning of recognizing and, and paying homage and practicing uh, the, the healthy uh, 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 aspects of, of ritual, first and foremost, yes, the ritual of family, of marriage, to understand that it behooves us to uh, relinquish those practices that have proven to be not uh, adequate for our survival, for our health, uh, spiritually, mentally, and physically, that we have to go back uh, to, to the... Uh, 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 Sankofa aspect of who we are as a people of, of African descent and those of us who recognize that as leaders in whatever capacity we have to share this knowledge. Uh, I encourage those of you who uh, appreciate the show to share with others uh, uh, segments such as this evening's show so then, indeed, we can have a dialogue. We can have uh, an exchange of thought and, and concepts about what uh, Dr. Milana Karanga states in his articles, uh, such as Choosing to be Africa, African, a Lifetime Resolution, and, of course, Dr. Uh, Maladoma Somi and the Healing Wisdom of Africa, and the other book he wrote, which was uh, very, very well-received, uh, of Water, and the spirit. So we're going to take a break. And uh, again, I invite those of you who are listening to feel free to call. And um, and those of you in the chat room, again, I thank you for visiting us. And if you have any uh, thoughts that you'd like to share, please feel free. We'll be back in a moment.
just thinking uh, regarding what Maladon was speaking about in terms of his uh, being surprised of the behavior and the, the abbreviated ritual of marriage as practiced here in the United States when he came to visit. And uh, I'm thinking of uh, the fact that we have one practice, a couple of practices, where you have the bachelor party, the bachelorette party, but the bachelor party where uh, the, the boys, uh, the young men get together. They uh, call themselves the boys' night out. But uh, indeed, very far from our African tradition in terms of the drinking and in some cases inviting some a woman over to dance and perform uh, unspeakable acts and, and, uh, and supposedly celebrating the groom's last potential, the groom's last day or night as a single person. Uh, to me, that's such a, a sick way of uh, preparing one for for uh, the sacredness of marriage. But we've embraced it. Uh, if not embrace it as entirety, we accept it as being normal. So uh, those are uh, like an example of what uh, can be really very obvious in terms of, of how we've gotten so far away from our uh, African tradition. And... Uh, uh, and then, of course, on the woman's side, the group, the, the, the bride's side, uh, where uh, there's this whole orientation. They have shows such as Bridezilla, uh, which the bride is angry and, and compulsive and, and controlling and has uh, fits of temper tantrums and so forth, which is supposedly acceptable and, in some cases, expected. Indeed, uh, a lot of us, when we have parties, that same type of uh, psychological mindset is incorporated, that it has to be some type of drama, some type of conflict. So we, we have perpetuated this, and we wonder why our children behave the way they do, because they do that, as we know, the old saying, if you uh, look at the behavior of a child, you can assume uh, the behavior of the parents that raised them to be very, very uh, similar in so many aspects. So it's not a, a frivolous um, notion for us to look at the celebration of holidays, uh, collective African holidays, such as Kwanzaa, and then the principles that are uh, shared within uh, the Ngoza Samba, uh, seven principles, and, of course, to read and to associate with our brothers and sisters from uh, certain countries and villages, such as uh, our brother uh, Maladoma, to understand that we need to go back uh, into those uh, sacred uh, rituals and traditions that were able to produce healthy, holistically healthy, cohesive, strong family uh, foundation. And from there, we understand that we're able to produce children who are respectful, children who actually are able to ascertain their purpose uh, and, and to pursue their purpose in terms of their present incarnation as they uh, travel uh, 
throughout the years from childhood to adulthood and from from adulthood to parenthood and then as grandparents. So this is the beginning of that process. What we're doing right now this evening, uh, and and my my most humble uh, effort for me to choose certain articles to read as Spirit leads me and guides me, to uh, collaborate with my wife when she has her shows, and to uh, absorb the teachings that she shares with the listening audience. And, uh, between ourselves, the books that she chooses to highlight and to uh, read excerpts from, uh, all of this is a process, a, a holistic synergetic synergetic, uh, process of gathering information that is for the good and eliminating that information that is for the bad. Enhancing the higher self and eliminating the consciousness of the lower self. So, I'm going to continue reading uh, from uh, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, as it is, by, uh, is authored by uh, Maladoma Somme. Uh, he goes on to state that uh, the relationship between grandparents and children is reenacted periodically and in public while the rest of the village watches. On a sunny afternoon, the village gathers in three distinct groups. The first is the group of elders or grandparents. The second consists of the children and grandchildren. The third group is made up of the remaining villagers, the adults. Grandparents are seated each on a stool in one tight, straight row, dressed in their better clothing, and the children are posted some 60 to 90 feet away, and someone intones a song, and everybody, including the children, sings. But the kids, as they sing, run toward the rows of, of, of elders, each one selecting a grandparent and focusing an eye on him or her while singing and running. As the song ends, these children crash into the laps of the chosen grandparents. And some collisions are mild, others are more rough, and the overall impact is sweet and loving. And after the crash, the children return to their position and start all over again. Every time a crash results in the fall to the ground of the elder and child, they are out of the game. If after the third time for the boys or the fourth time for girls, there is no fall, then the child must switch to a different elder. And the state said, at first this ritual play while singing praise to the great mothers and grandfathers may not be understandable. It is not a competition Yet everyone looks forward to the crash, and everybody is happy whether there is a fall fall or not. But rarely does a grandparent fall as a direct result of the grandchildren jumping on him or her. The interesting thing is the bonding that it permits, and the fact that it becomes a subject of talk long after it is over. Gradually, the children don't distinguish between different grandparents. Every old person comes to be known as grandpa or grandma. Reinforcing this idea is the general party is the general party that follows the crashing ritual. 
in which the entire village takes part in. Here, each child dances with the grandparent while everyone spurs them on with great excitement. The party with the very old and the very young is very exciting to watch. And these examples suggest that what is required for the maintenance and growth of the community is not corporate altruism or a government program, but a village-like atmosphere that allows people to drop their masks. A sense of community grows where behavior is based on trust and where no one has to hide anything. There are certain human powers that cannot be unleashed without a support a supportive atmosphere. Powers such as the one that enables us to believe in ancestors and to believe in our ability to unlock potentials in ourselves and others far beyond what is commonly known. When an individual feels connected to an entire community, this connection can extend far beyond the living world. And this suggests that a healthy connection with one another would spill over into a connection with the ancestors, and with nature. And similarly, the struggle to connect in this world will extend itself to the other world. Hmm, that's intense. So what we have here is a cyber village potential where we have a show such as the one that I'm sharing with you Tonight and shows such as what my wife does, which are establishing a cyber village, as it were. And um, and of course, it's nothing like having the physical, physical, the face-to-face, tactile, uh, touching and feeling of that energy of one being with you. But at times, we find ourselves, especially those of us who might have a family where there is a, it's not dysfunctional, there is a distance between uh, the elders and the children, between the parents and the children, between the grandparents and the children, because of the fact that indeed is what uh, Dr. Milana Karanga states, that we have uh, uh, consciously and unconsciously embraced certain uh, habits and certain traditions and traits of those who have oppressed us. So, yes, we have, like last night and New Year's Eve, those of us, uh, like here, we live here in New York City, and we have in Times Square where two million people gather together in ritual to see a ball being dropped from the top of a building. Uh, commemorate the start of the new year. And of course, we're wearing masks and hats and blowing horns and whistles and making noise. And there's, uh, for the most part, uh, a sense of happiness and joy. But uh, there is no acknowledgement of the Most High, barely, uh, barely. And needless to say, no acknowledgement of our ancestors, no acknowledgement of spirit. So we have those throughout the world where through the television and radio where this is shared uh, in each corner of the world where people are celebrating the new year without any type of ritual that is described by Dr. Maladome Somme. So 
I dare say, and uh, that we need to consider that uh, SOME might be sharing something that is very much needed to reconsider incorporating into our lifestyle, into our family, into our community. I, I'm, I'm encouraged my wife, she, uh, along with being a spiritual teacher, a minister, uh, she's an entrepreneur, and uh, she's also recovering from diabetes. And uh, we have discussions about that. We both are vegetarians, and uh, that's something that I've discussed in previous shows. You can feel free to go into my archives. But uh, she's, uh, she sells a product called the Diabetic a diabetes solution, and it's able to reverse your your uh, your blood sugar within three days. Uh, this is something that we can touch upon in terms of that we are a brother's keeper. That you know your problem is my problem. That we help each other to to be well, to stay well, and of course through diet, it's so important that we incorporate this. And I think I thought about that because of last night. I mean, there's so many people who went out and partied and celebrated the New Year uh, by drinking and eating certain foods and did not wake up this morning feeling very well. And some of them uh, have a certain lifestyle, which uh, actually their diet, and the word diet is just interesting. I like to use the word livid. My wife and I embrace a living type of healthy eating lifestyle. But uh, I'll share a moment about uh, her product that she uh, uh, offers to the general public and how it, it really helped her to, uh, to reverse her diabetes and to let people know that how they can access this particular product. Well, thank you, honey. The product is the Natural Organic Diabetes Solution Supplement. It's all natural. It's, it's in liquid form, mm-hmm. and uh, you drink three ounces in the morning, three ounces in the evening. Most people, including myself, attest to that you begin to see your blood sugar numbers lessening within three to seven days. I saw it within three days. Mm. Uh you can purchase, you can get the product by visiting my website, spiritchange.com. I also have a website strictly dedicated to the product called the new diabetes solution.com. You can purchase it there as well. Great. Would you repeat those two websites again? My main website, spiritchange.com, and the website exclusively for the product, is thenewdiabetessolution.com. Great. So uh, I'm so happy that uh, my wife is uh, here with me so that she can just share with you uh, the product that has assisted her in reversing her diabetes and also uh, the fact that she is a vegetarian like myself. I've been a vegetarian for more than 20 years. And I know that I don't suggest that everyone become a vegetarian. I'm not a, a medical doctor, and anything that I do suggest on the show is merely a suggestion. And we advise if you go to your uh, your, your personal uh, uh, medical doctor, 
for advice in terms of how to maximize your health. But I do know that uh, eating vegetables and fruits, especially like fruit, we learned that uh, that eating fruit first thing in the morning is the best type of breakfast that you can have in terms of breaking your fast while uh, from sleeping eight hours uh, during the evening. Because fruit is easily digestible uh, and it, uh, it provides you with the sugar, the natural sugars that uh, provide you with the energy to start your day as opposed to eating uh, those foods which uh, can actually make you feel very lethargic, uh, can make you feel irritable, and, and sleepy for that matter. We know that uh, a lot of times when we eat a meal, um, we can become drowsy. The body is just naturally saying, well, I need to chill out for a moment so that the food that you fed into me uh, can be digested. And of course, during the holiday period, it is not uncommon to see people who, after they've gathered with the family and had a big meal, they can't wait to get to the living room or a couch or to the bedroom to lay on a bed so they can take a nap <laughs> and, uh, and digest the food. But that is not the way to uh, start a day, uh, if I may, uh, in all due respect, share that uh, sentiment. Uh, I'm a runner. I'm a marathon runner. I ran my 14th marathon last year, 2010, here in New York City, the New York City Marathon. And um, having just celebrated my 68th birthday this past Wednesday, I'm a living testament to, to, to tell you that uh, as we learn throughout the running world, the running community, my uh, colleagues and I, uh, some 30-plus years ago, we had a saying that the body keep score. So I encourage those of you who are listening and who will listen in the future in the archives and, and to share this information as you do your research. Not to, don't just take my word for it, but do your own research as well and understand that it behooves you to exercise as much as possible uh, at least for half an hour a day uh, walk uh, as vigorously as you possibly can so that uh, all the organs in your body and, and the blood can be circulated throughout your body and, uh, and you can get rid of the toxins. Uh, and, and there's a whole myriad of things that your body benefits from just from by you taking a walk. And it doesn't have to be a, a straight half an hour. It can be incremental. It can be a, a five-minute walk here, a 10-minute walk there, a 15-minute walk there. Uh, we also suggest that you get off uh, the bus or the subway, or uh, park your car a block away from your destination or two blocks away so that indeed you can incorporate that walk. And of course, we suggest that you drink at least eight glasses of water per day. Um, and that's a glass as soon as you wake up in the morning, and then of course, at least. Uh, during the course of a day in intervals of an hour to two hours and then a glass of water before you go to bed at night. Um, that uh, is something that I try to keep on top of and uh, I find myself being challenged because sometimes, well, a lot of times I drink tea. I'm a green tea drinker and I, I somewhat trigger my, my psyche and my body into believing that I'm drinking a, enough water. 
But when we say water, we're saying pure water, uh, not uh, uh, a liquid that has water as a part of the constitution uh, of, of, the, of, the, of its uh, makeup. So uh, that's just uh, a few things that I wanted to take a moment to share with you because, indeed, the show's name is Grassroots Holistic Health. Uh, I'll be back with you in a moment. And again, I'd like to thank you for uh, for joining us this evening. So please hold on, and we'll be back in a moment. language for art. 
The closest term to it would be the same word as sacred. It is as if there is an intrinsic, intrinsic sacredness to artistic symbolism. This is perhaps why art objects do not go on show. This is also perhaps why the artist does not think about how to gain public stature. In the village, the ability to birth art is a sign of approval by the spirit world. Hmm. The blessed nature of the artist commands respect and reverence from everyone. The art that results from such a blessed hand is in turn approached with fear, reverence, and respect because it is accepted as a shipment straight from the other world. The artist, though, whom the delivery is made is regarded with awe and approached as the carrier of a gateway. It is as if he or she is a doorway to the other side, and more often than not, the artist is not observed while at work. When busy, he or she is occupied by spirit. No one should disturb the person who is consulting with spirit, or he may attract the spirit's wrath. The connection between the artist as a sacred healer and the community is undeniable. To produce beauty consistently requires a healthy community. Therefore, the artist is the pulse of the community. Here, her creativity says something about the health of the community. And this is because another role of the artist consists in acting as the spiritual foundation of the community. The beauty of artists produces, quenches the thirst of the village. And Maladoma states that sometimes I have wished that there were a museum of art in my village, but then I remember that collecting art objects in no place, in one place, in the indigenous people, in their village, would be a sign that people want something from the other world that is not being supplied adequately. They would be experiencing a thirst that is not being quenched. And even more important, it would mean that the community is in struggle and is experiencing a longing for the sacred. In such a place of struggle, the longing for the sacred is so enhanced that people are collecting and storing art objects. And from an indigenous point of view, the isolation of self and community from spirit appears to have trans translated into the imprisonment of art. The museums of the West from the indigenous perspective, speak poignantly of the sharply felt longing for spirit experienced by modern people. So that's uh, something that I'd like to share in the future uh, um, in terms of this concept of art. And it has me a little, uh, in, you know, betwixt. And I'm in between in terms of uh, the the pluses and minuses, the positives and negatives of uh, what um, Maladoma shares. Because uh, I am an artist, my wife is an artist, we're musicians, and, and I am also a visual artist of sorts. I uh, have the capacity to draw. And um, we sing. But he's talking about physical art, sculpture and paintings, things of that nature, jewelry, um, and, of course, clothing, design. So there's something to say about about that in terms of how um, that is 
something to be addressed by those of us who live here in the Western Hemisphere. But uh, again, I want to thank you all for tuning in, and uh, it's been a pleasure, and we look forward to this year, 2012. Hun, would you like to share anything in closing in terms of the, the year of 2012? Okay. Uh, I say by closing prayer, as shared by uh, Marion Williamson and inspired by her, we say, dear Lord, we give this evening to you. May our minds stay centered on the things of spirit and goodness. May we not be tempted to stray from love. As we begin this week, we open to receive you. And as we begin this year, we open to receive you. We ask that you enter where you already abide. May our minds and hearts be pure and true. And may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane, we surrender to you our doings this evening. We surrender to you our doings this year. We ask only that they serve you in the healing of the world. And may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. We ask that you make us the people that you would have us be and direct our footsteps and show us what you would have us do. And we ask that you make the world a safe and more beautiful place and to bless all your creatures and heal us all, and use us, dear Lord, that we might know the joy of being used by you. We give thanks, and again, we are grateful. We say namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, one love, peace and blessings. God bless.